listening to My Morning Cup, a podcast that features interesting conversations with genuine people. I'm your host, Mike Costa of Costa Media Advisors. My guest this week is Chip Baker, former healthcare executive, former music festival organizer, former restaurateur, current small business owner, and local politician, and absolutely one of the most positive people I know. Chip, welcome to My Morning Cup. Before I ask you how you transitioned your career path over the years, let me first ask, what's in your morning cup? Well, right now it would be a little bit of coffee with some uh, fake sweetener. What kind of sweetener? Uh, Very sweet. (laughs) (laughs) That's actually a product I get at Food City. I love it. It's just a little squirt thing. What's it uh, called? I don't know. (laughs) I just know what shelf it's on. (laughs) So you said right now, what will it be later afternoon? Uh, Well, my doctor says I need to drink more water. (laughs) There you go. That goes with scotch, too. That's a little later. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Well, good. Well, welcome to my morning cup. We want to have a conversation with you, uh, talk about really your career and what you've done uh, and where you are now. Talk a little bit about your business, Crestcom. Uh, but first, I'm, I'm curious, you've you've got an interesting background. Everyone knows you from running Riverbend Music Fest for the most part. How does a biology major <laughs> get into running a music festival? Well, it's an interesting path. Uh, I grew up in a small town in Ohio about the size of Cleveland, Tennessee. And uh, my dad uh, grew up as a farmer and then became a doctor. And uh, I'm number five out of six. I idolized my parents, but I wanted to be like my dad. And uh, so I went to the College of Western Ohio, and I was a biology major. And I had worked um, in hospitals anywhere from washing pots and pans to being an, an orderly and thought that was the direction I wanted to go. Actually, just prior to that, I was I wanted to go to the Air Force Academy and be a pilot because I, I got my license in high school. But uh, it was 75, and I was at Boys State in Ohio, and all the academies were there, and they were still dumping pilots out of Vietnam. And so I wore glasses, and, and they didn't have corrective vision then, and so they had a surplus of pilots. So that became a non-starter for me because I, I wanted to fly. So then I switched gears and and that's when I went to uh, kind of being like my dad. And so I was a biology major. Still wasn't sure after college. And uh, it was my mom, who was always the logical one in the family, suggested I either go into airport management or hospital administration. So I decided to go in the hospital business. Uh, got my master's at George Washington University in D.C. I was there when Reagan got inaugurated. Oh, very was, cool. Yeah, it was really cool because I had a little Honda 125 and I'd zip all over that town and I could get right down in the mall and see everything and a Honda um, 125 being a motorcycle? Being like a little tiny motorcycle, big scooter. Or as we, as we used to call them, mini bikes? <laughs> a little bigger than a mini bike, not much. You know, you needed about a foot in between cars and, and uh, to park anywhere. And then somebody knocked my motorcycle down, and I'd go put a buck fifty of gas in it. I was good for another couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Won't even get you a gallon today. No. It? So you, you go to uh, George Washington University and, and get your master's in uh, healthcare administration? Yeah, hospital administration. And um, I was supposed to end up, after grad school, I was supposed to be in Knoxville, which I wanted to go south. It just didn't work out with the opportunity. So I ended up in Syracuse, New York. Oh. Which is very cold. How long were you in Syracuse? For a year. 
Uh, yeah, long enough to find another place to go. Yeah, yeah. It was it was uh, about six weeks in the summer. It was really pretty. <laughs> <laughs> and if you remember that movie on Golden Pond with Henry yes. Fonda, all these people had all there were all these lakes and cabins, and it was really pretty. In the summertime, everyone took off, you know, for a period of four or five weeks, and would go to their what they call camps. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it got cold and rainy, and I went south. So if it wasn't for your corrective lenses, you'd be a pilot today. Yep. Is that I, still I, your passion? It is. It is. I love aviation. Uh, I flew up until we moved here in 1992. So tell the story. You're in healthcare administration. After Syracuse, where do you go and how do you end up in Chattanooga? Yeah, so I ended up, um, if they like you in your, what they call residency in Syracuse, they, they offer you a job and they, and they did. And I said, no, thank you. I'm going south. So I went to um, the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And uh, really just started knocking on doors. Didn't have any experience, you know, fresh out of, you know, grad school with a master's and no experience. So you moved before you had a job. I did. I had a brother in Fort Worth, and so I had a place to stay. And I just started knocking on doors and uh, was very fortunate. Got some uh, great opportunities in the 10 years I was there. Met my wife while I was there on a blind date. Probably the best thing that ever happened to you. uh, Far and away. Absolutely. No no question. Um, Then moved here in 92 to run the Children's Hospital at Erlanger. Go back a little bit, talk about knocking on doors. Today, Mm -hmm. knocking on doors is different than knocking on doors 30 years ago and and looking for a job when you don't have a job. It was actually about 40 years (laughs) ago. Time flies. Um, You know, I just, I had my resume and I just, you know, there there were headhunters then, but but really I just took it on myself to try to go to hospitals and and kind of work my way in, meeting with uh, administrators and work my way up and my first job didn't pay much. And then one of my contacts on my second job called me and said, Hey, you know, we want you to come over here. And that was of my 20 years as a hospital administrator. I spent five on the for-profit side, kind of like HCA, but this company was called universal health services. And, and I was lucky cause I, I got my first job as a, as a CEO of a small hospital about the size of Memorial North park, uh, when I was 27. That's pretty and, young. Yeah, it was it was a, a great opportunity. They didn't pay much, but they gave me a decent salary and a car and an expense account and, and a lot of lot of learning. So you were living large too. It was good. You know, I was a single guy. So, so how important was networking to you? And I, I want to what I'm trying to get at is the difference between networking 40 years ago and networking today. But the underlying theme is still the same. It, it, it takes a lot of hard work. It does. And, uh, and, and networking, it's just you've got different media that you, you use now to, to network. But I'm all about relationships. It's it's getting to know people and see what makes them tick. The people are very interesting. So in the, as you network and develop relationships, uh, opportunities become available. You just have to do a lot of it. And I enjoy doing that. You know, even if something doesn't work out, you get to know someone and you know, just put that in your, your bag of knowledge, uh, you know, what makes people tick and why they do what they do. So you're 27, you're in Texas, you're running a small hospital, you're, you're building your healthcare background. What brings you to Chattanooga? So in 1992, um, sight unseen, well, we, I mean, we made some trips here, but my wife is from Texas. And as I said, I'm from Ohio and, you know, we knew about Chattanooga, but not much. And we came here kind of on a lark. Uh, went to, you know, Children's Hospital Erlanger and was there seven years. And, you know, it was always somewhat volatile. I think in seven years, I survived six layoffs. <laughs> wow. And you came to Chattanooga before it really 
re-blossomed. Yeah, yeah. The aquarium had just opened, and so it was really starting to change. And here's this old industrial town, and it was it was cool to, you know, there was a guy that ran the uh, free press named Frank McDonald, and he about every six weeks we would go up to the Walden Club, and he would teach me the history of Chattanooga. And it was really interesting to understand, you know, how things ticked. And, you know, back then, you know, kids would grow up here and then couldn't wait to get out. And now it's so different. You know, I've got four kids and three out of four, I think, you know, at some point we'll be back in Chattanooga. Were all your kids born here? Yep, they all were born here. And, and it's funny because, you know, somebody, somebody would say, well, you're not from here. And I said, well, I'm not, but I have four children and they outnumber us in our household two to one. Yeah. A good friend of both of ours has a great saying when someone says you're not from here. I may not be from here, but I got here as quick as I could. That's right. That's right. It's It's been a great experience and um, been very fortunate to be here for now 30 years. So talk a little bit about what your conversations with Frank McDonald, who used to uh, own the, the free press. What did you learn from him that was so important that you've taken forward? Um, just the history of how things happened. Uh, there was a great article in the paper recently about McDonald family in the McDonald farm, and we just bought that farm as a as a county uh, this past year, and just the history of you know how people moved here and how things were developed and the industry and then how industry went away and you know all the different efforts to you know Jack's fish tank you know as they call the aquarium and how that was really a spark to redevelop downtown and you know then the South Side and and 21st century waterfront with Senator Corker. Um, so it's just, you know, neat to understand the background and then, you know, how Coca-Cola played such a major role here in its development, among others. So as you're working at Erlanger, you start to get involved. Uh, when I met you in, I guess it was 2000, um, you had already left Erlanger. But when did you decide to enter the political arena? Well, my whole career changed in 1999. When I was at Children's, we did air shows with the Blue Angels and Thunderbirds. And because of my aviation background and because it benefited Children's Hospital, I really got into the event. And it was so much fun to be around all these all these jets and, you know, to watch them perform and, and then, you know, have them benefit Children's Hospital. So I got into the event business that way. So in 1999, I changed careers to, to run Riverbend Festival. And in 2000, um, a lady showed up at my office and said, on the school board and I'm getting off the school board and you'd be perfect for the school board. So we, they'd talked about having a high school on Signal Mountain for 50 years. I live on Signal Mountain and we had four children and, mm -hmm. and we gave up or I didn't, I wouldn't say gave up, but we transitioned from a pretty lucrative career, which hospital administration is. And it was like, wow, you know, I really need a good public school alternative. We said, what the heck, let's do, let's do school board. My wife's father had been in politics in Texas he was a state representative in the panhandle of Texas for 10 years. And so she was really the, the, the politician in the family. She's a marketing person. She organized everything and the fundraising and the door knock kind of network, you know, a different kind of network. And uh, so I got elected in 2000 and I stayed on the school board for 12 years. You said you really enjoy people and getting to know people. Is that part of your drive on the political arena? Oh, absolutely. I mean, Everything, I'm convinced everything in life is about relationships and, and you get to see what makes people tick. You know, some do it for altruistic reasons. Some people do it for their own benefit and to gain 
further, you know, advancement in the political arena. It's just they all have different, you know, different approaches to how, how and why they do what they do. Yeah. Go back a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about your transition from hospital administration to the event business. You chose to change careers to stay in Chattanooga. Why? Because this became home. Again, didn't know a soul when we got here. Four kids. Um, we're in the same house we've our kids were raised in, so that's always, that will always be their home wherever they live. And um, so we, it was a great opportunity to try to figure it out and to change and stay and be able to be successful in our own right. But what clicked in your mind that said, you know what, I've got a great hospital administration career, and if we just moved to New York, why, why didn't you choose that path? Why did you say, you know what, this is more important? Well, we had had a couple opportunities. One was um, my parents calling one time and saying, hey, the hospital job just came, came up in, in the town I grew up in, in Ohio. And that had to be attractive. Yeah, I asked, I asked my wife, and she goes, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I love my parents, but I was a little too close. Uh, and then another opportunity came up in Hartford, Connecticut, to run the children's hospital to be number two. And then to be, according to the headhunter, to be number one within a year. And I said, how do you know that? He said, my brother runs the hospital. So I asked my wife, do you want to go to Hartford, Connecticut? And she goes, no. <laughs> <laughs> so so at the time, I, I actually was getting recruited to Houston. And I really ran two parallel paths. One was staying in healthcare, And, you know, that would have been moving. And the second was to try to figure out how to stay here. And I had some great folks, you know, Mayor Kinsey, and uh, a guy named Bill Tittle, who told me about Riverbend, and Mr. DeCosmo told me, you know, then there was an opportunity at Finley Stadium um, with Mayor Kinsey. It was to run the airport, which I really didn't have experience at. And then the thing with Riverbend with Bill Tittle, who I knew from the air shows and, you know, again, the network. So I remember looking at it. I'm not a music person. I'm a business person. I've, I've listened to your playlist. You're not a music person. Yeah, well, I, I was listening to Tom Petty on the way over here, so there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I remember calling my dad and saying, saying uh, since he'd paid for college and grad school, and I said, Dad, I'm thinking about moving, doing this uh, big music festival. And he's like, great. He kind of blessed it. And, and then we moved forward for the next 20 years. How important was that for you to have your father, use your term, bless it? Well, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate to have, you know, great parents and they will always be my mentor. They uh, are very important to how I was raised, um, the involvement with the community. My mom was tremendously involved in, the, in, in my hometowns, um, you know, Red Cross and all these other groups that she helped. And so it was important to um, really take all those opportunities and figure it out and uh, move forward. What would it have done to you if, if you're of going to your dad and saying, this is what I want to do and, and really getting a negative reaction. I mean, would that have stopped you from doing possibly. it? Possibly. 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 I mean, uh, you know, it, again, uh, hospital administration is a very good career. You know, I loved it. I enjoyed it. I got a lot of my political knowledge on how to deal with, you know, the multitude of doctors and each one has their own agenda. Some are more helpful than others. And the ones that were really helpful, you'd grab onto and because you could trust that they were telling you the truth. A lot of times it had to do with money, um, mm -hmm. how it would benefit them personally. So, you know, you just, you know, like anything, you know, you develop your network and your relationships and you try to figure out what makes people tick. As you transitioned into the event space, Riverbend, highly successful, 30 years, 
I think 40 this year. 40. But, Is it but 40? I, yeah, I've been gone for three and a half. You've been gone for three and a half. Talk a little bit about your transition into the event space. You were doing the air shows. Uh, what were what were the skills you learned as a hospital administrator that you took into uh, Riverbend? And then talk a little bit about some of the favorite memories of Riverbend. Well, it's... Um, the event business is the business of planning. So, so it's like any other not nonprofit is, is a tax status and it's not a business strategy. So it's all about revenue and expense. You've, you've got to have your revenue outweigh your expenses. And when I took over Riverbend, it was deeply in debt. And so it was, it was kind of fun. It didn't really have much of a budget. So I had to create budgets, policies, procedures, you know, all stuff you do in, in any business. So that was fun to do. Um, and fortunately, we had a great staff, and we turned it around actually in a, in a year from a four hundred thousand dollar debt, and then we just you know built on that. My favorite experiences, gosh, there were so many. You know, anywhere, anywhere from fun artists like I remember Sam Hunt was becoming big, and he was playing the the second secondary stage, which was the Bud Bud Light stage, and uh, they wanted to go see um, Merle Haggard that night. And and so I arranged for a golf cart, and, and Sam sat next to me, and his manager sat behind him, and then there was another golf cart behind them. He got out of his trailer, and all these young girls were, were running after him. I, I think it was maybe they were running after me, <laughs> but uh, and we, we took him around the back way and, and got him to the to the Coke stage, and he was just he was great. Merle Hager was the biggest Sunday night we ever had. And then afterwards, there was a big houseboat on the back. It was kind of our green room. And um, I was looking for my wife and daughter. I went downstairs, and the, my wife and, and her friends, they were all dancing. And there's Sophie, my daughter, sitting on the couch with Sam Hunt. <laughs> so it was just, you know, just cool experiences. I, we, we had the opportunity to be guests at the Pasadena Tournament Roses, you know, the granddaddy of them all. And just all the experiences we had out in Pasadena. There were 18 guests that year, and six of them were the Bakers. And they took us to the, at the Rose House, um, which is on um, Colorado Boulevard, it's the old Wrigley estate, and she had donated it to the to the Rose uh, Festival. And I'm walking through this one room, kind of a kind of a room with plaques and things. And there's one for Hamilton County, and, and that's because uh, I'm pretty sure it was Saudi Daisy had been one of the bands in the in the parade. Oh, so that's very really like, cool. I was like, well, that that brought it home. Yeah. Um, but you know, to be a, a guest of Canada at their 150th anniversary and just lots of experiences either here, you know, in, in Chattanooga or one of my best friends uh, runs Memphis in May, you know, that's Jim that's, Holt. Jim Holt. That's part of your history. And it's a it, great guy. Also a guy from Ohio. Um, just the people you meet, you know, the relationships so, you develop. So back to what you said earlier, relationships, and you, you gain those through the association of, uh, what, what was the festival association called? Uh, International Festival and Events Association. Which you were very active in. Yeah. And and really, you were doing festivals before festivals got cool. Yeah, suddenly there was a huge proliferation of festivals, and it was uh, the folks uh, that run Bonnaroo, AC Entertainment, which is based in Knoxville, they really took... Uh, their home is Knoxville. Their second home really is Chattanooga. So it became uh, something of uh, a change in the landscape, and we we made a, a number of changes, shortened the festival from eight days to three, and did a number of things. But by that time, I was I was ready to move on. Yeah. Uh, one last question about Riverbend, and then I, I want to get on to Crestcom and, and what you're doing now. In that 40 years, a lot of stuff happened, but the thing that really sticks out in my mind was uh, after after the terror shootings at the Marine Naval Reserve, Station. Naval yeah. Station. Touch a bit on that. Tell your Samuel L. Jackson story. Uh, 
When that happened, obviously it was a huge tragedy for our community. We started talking about we need to do something to help our community. And we immediately talked about Angle Stadium because we had done some events over there for the Veterans Entrepreneur Program to raise money for UTC and their veterans program. So we said, well, maybe we do something at Angle. And then we said, nah, it's probably going to be bigger than that. We probably had to do something at Finley. And then we said, nah, you know, probably going to be bigger than that. Let's bring the Coke stage in. Let's do like a mini Riverbend Festival. So then we started calling everybody, you know, the tug operator, you know, Mr. Saradino said, hey, we need you to bring the tug, you know, from 30 miles away, bring it in, hook it up for free. Uh, electric guys for free, you know, sound lights for free. You know, we asked everyone to donate and they all did, except for the fence company, which is out of Arizona. They said, well, we do this for you. We have to do it for everybody. I go, well, not really. But anyway, so, so, but in that case, um, Blue Cross and, and SunTrust at the time, now Truist, uh, donated funds to help offset that expense. And then we passed all these buckets that we got from Walmart. And we raised $650,000 for the uh, families of yeah that were impacted by the, you know, either victims or the 911 people because everybody was impacted. $650,000. Yeah. It was. That's it, tremendous. It was pretty cool. And uh, so one of my friends, his name's Deacon, he grew up with Samuel L. Jackson. We needed to have, you know, our entertainment for free, right? And so he gave me his number, not his personal number, but his office number. And I called at like one o'clock in the afternoon. And I told him what was going on, and we would like him to be the MC. And, of course, you know, he's the busiest man in Hollywood, right? So he's busy. And from 1 till 4 o'clock that afternoon, got the, yes, I'll do it. And, wow. and And then I had to arrange for a jet for he and two of his staff to fly <laughs> from LAX to Chattanooga. Sure enough, you know, I had arranged for their food. I'd never done that before. That was kind of cool. And uh, anyway, so he he comes and, and we do this do this event. He was great, just nice, nice person. And so the next morning after the event, Deacon, my friend, said, you know, why don't you come to come to breakfast? I said, okay. He goes, I'll call you. So he calls me at 10 in the morning the next day, and he says, come to the Chattanooga right now. And I go, okay. And so I, I get in my car, and as I'm pulling out, my wife goes, she goes, Chip, I've, I've got a flat tire. I go, great, call AAA. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm like, I'm not missing breakfast with Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> Thank God for AAA. AAA, <laughs> you know, it's, it's good to be a member. But um, and I had sat next to him at breakfast, and we talked mostly golf. And he's just the coolest guy. I mean, for as busy as he is, he loves Chattanooga. There was some people, you know, saying he doesn't care for Chattanooga. He loves Chattanooga. I mean, it's it's where he was raised. It's, you know. For many years, his mom was still here, and he's just hes just a great guy. That's a great story, and it speaks to what Chattanooga is all about and also how you, you've been able to use those, the relationships you've built and where they've taken you. And, and so you, you've decided to leave Riverbend. What are you doing now? You know, when you're younger, you're, you're like, I'm going to make a lot of money, and then I'm going to go to Florida and play golf. And you know, over time, you, you watch people do that. And they kind of fall off the face of the earth. And I just, you know, in 2018, I was fortunate enough to get elected to the county commission. I just got reelected this past August. And so it was like, I want to do one more thing. I don't want to retire. And the question is, well, we're staying here. So how do you take these skill sets that I've developed over the years and the relationships and the networking and make that into a, a, a real job? And so I had a couple people 
you know, Tom Griscom, uh, who used to run the Free Press, he was in Ronald Reagan's cabinet when Howard Baker was his chief of staff. Director um, of communications. Director of communications. And he, the famous words, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Yeah. Came from Tom Griscom, a local guy. You know, some of the most famous words in history. So Tom said, be your own boss. And then uh, Mitch Patel, who uh, owns a number of hotels here, including the Edwin, good friend, UT graduate. Big UT fan. Big, huge UT fan. He said, Chip, do something you're passionate about. So be your own boss, do something you're passionate about. And I've always been passionate about managing people. That's what I've done for 40 years. I don't care if it's hospital management, event management, political management. You know, management is management. It's just, you know, you have a different product. So I came across this company called Crescom. What it does in a nutshell is it takes people that are good at their job, they move into management, they don't have a management training, I train them. And so, um, you know, how to make decisions, how to negotiate, how to in innovate, how to lead through change. Basic skill sets that I wasn't taught in grad school, I just learned over time. Mm -hmm. um, we actually teach these skill sets, and it's a class that I teach once a, once a month for a year for four hours. And they, they'll learn two skill sets in the class. And once they learn it and they practice it and they sit at tables with people from different industries and then they go back to their company and they use it and they have to do a plan every month where they take what they learned, they use it, and they have to do a return on investment every month and show how it's either helped their revenue or decreased their expenses. Uh, either way, it's got to show a financial impact on their company. And they do that for a year, two things every month. And then over the, over the course of the year, it's 24 things, but it's done over time. So they learn over time and they can practice over time. And, and instead of going away to a seminar and learning a couple of things and getting all excited and come back with a notebook and then you stick it on a shelf. Mm -hmm. You know what they call that? What? Shelf esteem. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah, it's good. I, I, I like that. So I do that. And I, it's great. I'm my own, you know, I, I work out of my house, um, you know, and I was fortunate, I'm fortunate and unfortunate. I started in October of 19, COVID hit in March right. of 20. And, and uh, you teach physical classes where yeah. people come into small rooms. Yeah. <laughs> and, and virtual really wasn't that, that big a thing at the time. And so we immediately in, in April and May of 20, we, we shifted to virtual but then in June, we went back into class. We just spread it out, sanitizer and masks and things like that, because it's, it's better in person. You know, you, you can see the whole person and how they respond to something, how they interact. But it was, it was pretty tight there in the first few months after COVID. A difficult time to start a new business. But, you know, everything pretty much in the summer of that year really started turning around again. Because you, the whole time you were prospecting yeah. and, and making connections and, and telling people what you're doing and, and matching them up. Yeah, you couldn't go see people really. Again, Zoom was, was fairly uniquely new to people right. as, a, as a way of doing business. I think it's, it's a very good way to do business now, but not too much. And do it smart. You know, and my favorite saying is, go figure. It's like, hey, did you hear what Mike did yesterday? Oh, go figure. Well, <laughs> it's the different go figure. You got to go figure it out. You got to figure out a different way to do things. And that made it fun. Um, but it also became something of a crutch because you get up, you know, you got a meeting at 930, you get up, you know, 915, you put a shirt on and your jammies on the bottom and, <laughs> you know, have a little cup of coffee and, you know, run a meeting and then you're done. You don't have to get dressed, get showered, go go and drive into to the office. So it became a too easy of a lifestyle. And so it's just finally figuring out the balance between what, balance. what's good use of Zoom and what's overuse of it. Because the interaction, it's just hard to develop relationships and networks exclusively on Zoom. It's, it's a combination. 
someone doesn't have to wait a year for your classes to start. They can plug in at any point. That's right. Correct? Yes. Like um, they can start in November. They'll finish in October. They can start in March. They finish in February. It's each month is independent yet. They're all interdependent. They're all, they all build towards becoming a, a great manager you know, some people call it leadership. I, I don't. I call it becoming a great manager because if you're a really good manager, become a good leader. So it, at any time, they can come in. And anyone who may be listening to this podcast, if they're interested in Crestcom, how would they get in touch with you? They can uh, email me at chip.baker at crestcom.com. And there you go. You'll, you'll be able to get Chip. Uh, last couple points. You said something that, that really strikes home to me. We made it fun. How important is it to you to make things fun? Because I'm, I'm coming from a personal perspective now. I've never met a more positive, fun person in my life, someone who actually gave me the positive attributes of sleeping with a CPAP machine at one point. <laughs> <laughs> well, since we're talking about CPAP, yeah, I, I used to snore all my life. And, and finally, I went to a buddy of mine who's a pulmonologist, and uh, he did a sleep study on me. Normally, you have about three apneas where you quit breathing at night. That's normal. I had 50, and uh, so it was the best thing I ever did. took a while to get used to, but uh, it's kind of like imagine going to sleep with a warm blanket. That's what it's become. Well, and just to give more context to that, at one time we were on a trip together, and you're unpacking your CPAP machine, and (laughs) and I said, oh, that looks like a real pain in the rear. And you said, oh, no, it's actually great because I can actually sleep now. Yeah, Yeah, I wake up in the morning fully refreshed, and uh, I didn't realize I had had that problem, and I just thought it was normal to snore. How important is it for you in everything you do to make it fun? I'm I'm not talking about slap on the back, ha ha fun, but just just to enjoy the experience. Yeah, you know, it's it's amazing how fast life goes, and that's why I both my wife and I are big on being able to contribute to this community, which has given us so much. In the hospital business, you're about every five years you're out. You know, you, you move to the next job. It's kind of the pyramid scheme. You know, that down at the bottom, there's lots of jobs. As you move up, it pays extremely well, but you have to move. And so to be able to stay here and develop friendships and be able to engage in the community and be part of, of a great community, to us, that, that's priceless. So in looking back on that, what would you tell your 25-year-old self about what's important in life? Wow. Um Life's a series of a roller coaster. I mean, it goes up and down, and and what you got to do is just hold on tight and work the hardest you can work. And depending on your field, whatever the best education is for your field, to do the best you can in that, to develop relationships, to engage in your community, you know, kind of all the above. Do it all, and and why not? Because life's short, and next thing you know, you don't want to have any regrets and go, I wish I'd done that. I was telling General Bell, and we were doing this Veterans Entrepreneur Program at Charlie Daniels, God rest his soul. And I looked at General Bell. I said, you know, my only regret in life is I haven't served because I did want to go to the Air Force Academy, but I didn't. And and he looks at me with those general eyes and he goes, you've served your community. I was like, oh, thanks. That's pretty powerful. <laughs> it was. I was taken back. It was a pretty cool thing. So just, you know, enjoy, enjoy the ride. Do your best. Develop great friendships, and, and we're fortunate that we've got four great children. And I really believe, with what Chattanooga has become, that it'll play, be a place that they'll return to at some point. I just told them come back while I'm still alive. <laughs> <laughs> well, we could all hope that. 
Chip, this has been great. I just want to remind our audience, if you like our podcast, to share it with friends on social media, building our audience, and we'll have more information on how you can like it and share it. But from my perspective, I always enjoy talking to you. You're balanced for me. Well, the next podcast, I'd like to be the, the interviewer and you be the interviewee because your, your business, your history is tremendous. And I want to do the questions next time. You've got a deal. But I think the only thing I can demonstrate is that I can't hold a job. Uh, neither can I. <laughs> no, nah, it's great. And really, that's the, the purpose of these conversations is that life is a long road. It's a, it's a series of choices, and you got to make the choices that are best for you. I know from my experience that things I thought were important aren't the important things. And I've, I've found as I've gotten older what's really important, and it's good friends like yourself, it's family, and it's being a place you want to be. Well, and when you get to a fork in the road? Take, Take it. it. <laughs> <laughs> and with that advice, we'll leave you. Chip, thank you for coming yeah, today. My pleasure. Great to see you. Thanks for listening to My Morning Cup, a podcast by Consta Media Advisors. If you liked this episode, please share it with a friend. I release a new episode each week, so be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Apple, Google, or wherever you listen to podcasts.